Lamentations chapter 3, verses 17 to 25. You will see that the scripture is sort of written in a poem type uh, arrangement. Uh, it's really what's called an oracle, but it's there's some really beautiful language. If you ever get a chance to read Lamentations, it's uh, suspected to be written by Jeremiah. There's no direct proof of that, but it looks a lot like what Jeremiah might have written based on the places and things that he was um, dealing with at the time. So if you are able to kind of read through that, uh, you will see that that is the case. Um, for uh, for this, it's kind of, there's some really deep and good language. So uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 17 to 25, if you would stand. I'm going to start with our key verse for our series, John 3.16. And then I'll read this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone in all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seek the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to all of us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. It was about 6.30 in the morning on April 18, 2013. The phone rang, and the voicemail picked up, and the message said, Lyle schools are closed because of flooding. Immediately aware that something very new was happening, I raced to the front porch and there, confirming all I was most terrified of, was three feet of water in the front yard. We lived in a floodplain. It wasn't unprecedented for us to flood, but it had never before looked like this. The water continued to rise. Tom was recovering from a surgery that left him unable to walk, and I knew it was going to get really bad for us pretty quickly. I had my daughter drive our van up as close to the garage as she could. That was the highest ground and least likely from past experience to flood. I called the fire department next. They arrived not too long after and had as little preparation as any of us for what was going to transpire that day. There was no evacuation plan, they said. 
I told them that this was definitely the worst I had ever seen it, and they better start planning an evacuation plan. But uh, they said, well, if you want to leave, we'll help you. But we don't really have a plan. I said, well, we need to go. So obviously my daughter and I could walk out, but my husband could not. So my daughter and I gathered bits and pieces of things from around the house, threw them in a suitcase and a laundry basket, and grabbed our dog and his food and his cage, and we walked out of the house with a firefighter, leaving for the last time as a resident. The water was now waist deep, and it was extremely cold. We walked about a half a block to dry ground, it was a little higher there, and neighbors whose house had not flooded at all took us in to dry us off and warm up. I was uh, very anxious about Tom, and so I did not stay in their house. I stood on the corner in the rain and watched and waited and waited and watched. I had managed to leave my cell phone in my pants pocket when I left the house, so it went underwater with all of my pants, so I had no cell phone. Uh, and I just had to watch and wait. Of course, by this time, there were other neighbors gathered around at the corner, waiting and watching with us. And we watched as many of our neighbors and friends became homeless. And I realized that we had almost certainly lost our home permanently. But even in that moment, a sort of peace fell over me. I was comforting my neighbor Fran, who had been waiting for her disabled son to be rescued as well. Our other neighbor had been pumping water out of their basement so well that the water pressure collapsed their basement in. And so once that happened, the firefighters became concerned about a gas leak. And so they were now trying to get everyone out of the neighborhood. And as I'm standing there and I'm listening to all of this happening around me, these words came to me. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And I knew in that moment that no matter what happened that day, God was still God and God was still faithful. There were certainly in the days and weeks to come lots of moments when I lost sight of God's faithfulness, particularly when I was on the phone with the insurance company or FEMA. <laughs> but as I dealt with insurance companies and FEMA and claims adjusters, I also watched my church and my pastor come alongside us, helping us with some of our immediate needs. I watched as my daughter's softball coach bought her cleats and a bat and the things she would need to participate in an upcoming softball tournament. I watched as God showed up over and over, not just with the things we needed, not just in that space of several weeks of homelessness, but in every single day since. And I realized God is always faithful. It doesn't matter what my circumstances look like. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. God is always faithful. Eventually, as all of you know, Tom was rescued from our house in a little paddle boat. 
And we did lose pretty much everything in that house. But some of that loss is what made it possible for us to be here. And I'm not saying that we had to lose all of those things to gain this necessarily, but I am saying that even though we lost those things, God has worked things to our good because God is faithful. God worked out of the evil of a flood that happened to the good of those who are hearing this message today. And so we turn to Jeremiah, who also was probably not having a great life. As we talked about last week, he had a lot of things going on. And we can hear some of that in what he says about how he is feeling in this chapter. We go back just a couple of verses from where we started. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. And then where we started today, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. My splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped from the Lord. My soul is downcast within me. Jeremiah is despondent. He's living out what God told him would happen at his call. He is despised by the people he has been called to preach to. He has been mocked and tortured, and at some point, as you recall, I mentioned last week, He's lived in a, in a pit and been left to die. But he doesn't stay in this space. He calls out for sure, and he says all that he is feeling for sure, and he recognizes that this is not a good place for him to be. But he also knows the God who called him. He also knows what that God does. Things are not easy and sunshiny and joyful where Jeremiah lives. His city is under siege. People are starving and dying all around him. His words are thrown back in his face, and everyone pretty much despises him. But his next words, his next words tell us that he knows exactly who God is, and they are beautiful reminders of who God is to us. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him to the one who seeks him. He has hope. He has nothing else, but he has hope. Why? Because he knows that God loves him. 
He knows it. The same way he knows that the sun rises in the east, Jeremiah tells us that he knows that every single morning his God will pour out new mercy because God's love never fails. Great is thy faithfulness. And it is a beautiful expression of what God will do and what God can do and who God is. And what Jeremiah knows about who God is isn't necessarily what he's seeing happen immediately. He knows it isn't necessarily going to happen as soon as he would like. But he says to himself, God is enough. I will wait on God, and God is good to those who hope in him. Jeremiah knew that if he waited on God, God would take the evil and turn it. That doesn't mean everything will turn to sunshine and roses for Jeremiah, and in fact it doesn't. But it, doesn't, it does mean that Jeremiah's work is not in vain. Even though Jeremiah himself may not see the results of his efforts in preaching and writing down his prophetic words and even sitting in the lovely muck of a cistern, Jeremiah can trust that God's work will be done through him and it will be accomplished. God's love will be visible to him and to others because that is who God is every time. I know, too, that Jeremiah's words and lamentations have meant much to many people because of a hymn sort of inspired by these words that was written by Thomas Chilson. We sang it this morning. The chorus, Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Thomas didn't write that hymn because his life was in turmoil either. He had had some health issues, but truthfully nothing was terrible for him. He would later tell people that the hymn wasn't really written under dramatic circumstances. He just wrote it, and then he sent it to a friend who wrote the music for it. But he knew that he needed to hear that sometimes, even when his life was not bad. And that's really the even better part of this scripture. We don't have to have a flood story. We don't have to live in a cistern to know that God is faithful. We can have every day, my tire is flat, my kids are not behaving, my boss is a jerk, my washing machine went out, my spouse is great, the weather is beautiful, today is payday. Whatever kind of days we are having, we can have them and still know that God is faithful and that tomorrow God's mercy and love will pour out on us anew. We serve and love a faithful God who loves us and who is working all things for our good, no matter what those things look like. It is a wonderful thing to be loved by God. And I, for one, am ever grateful that God works faithfully whether our lives are good or bad or boring or exciting, God is faithful 
always and forever. As we have been doing every week in this series, I want us to think about together what it means and what it looks like to say that the love of God is found in every page of Scripture. You would follow along on your blue sheets, and whenever I point at you, say whatever is bolded on your page. What does it mean to say God loves? To create us, to form us from the dust. To let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's, to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartache and sorrow and death. To provide a rescue, a way back through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. To show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. To show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. To send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. To see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. To raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like Jesus. To want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved. To still let us choose our own destiny. To promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and final judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world. God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. God's love is expressed to us every week most tangibly as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread, know you are loved. God loves you. Go, love the world with him.